Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 187 of Just the Zoo of Us. Before we get started, I wanted to say a profound and sincere thank you to everyone who stepped up to support us in this year's Max Fun Drive. It was a great turnout. We had a ton of fun, and I can't wait to deliver on some of the exciting stuff that we are able to do because of support from you, our wonderful audience. So thank you. We couldn't do all of this without you. Now, for this week's episode, I talked with a biologist and science communicator about the tiny, indestructible ogres of the Florida swamp, the mangrove rivulus. We discussed parasites and their role in courtship and reproduction, what fish would put on their Tinder profiles, and life as a fish who isn't quite sure about this whole being a fish thing. So put on your waders and get out your fishnets. Just the Zoo of Us presents the mangrove rivulus with Brooke Fitzwater. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. We're here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, we're speaking with a new friend, Brooke Fitzwater. Say hi, Brooke. Hi. And Brooke, what are your pronouns real quick? My pronouns are she, her. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk about our fish today. But before we do, let's talk about Brooke. Brooke, let our friends listening know what kind of work you do with our wet friends. <laughs> Our wet friends. I'm going to call them that yes. from now on. Our little wet, wiggly friends. I also call them my children. I call <laughs> them my children or my army. Oh, that's powerful. I have a whole army that I'm building in the lab. So a lot of <laughs> you that are listening might know me as Ocean Philly on TikTok, Twitter, etc. So that's kind of where I like got big, quote unquote. But my research is very much focused in looking at sexual selection and reproduction, specifically in fish. And I do a lot of marine biology. And so I've always been fascinated by animals forever. I've always loved to just watch animal behavior. So I'm big into animal behavior studies. And I'm really interested in looking at courtship behaviors or understanding what makes animals decide who they're going to mate with. What are the things that clue them off? What are indicators that, oh, this is a good partner for me to reproduce with? And then I'm really interested now in the relationship between parasites and sex. So parasites mm. have such a big impact on sex that a lot of people don't realize. Like no. a lot of the things that we might be just so used to nowadays, like bright colors on animals or specific like characteristics that we're like, this seems so extravagant are actually partially because they're signaling that, hey, I have a good immune system and I can defeat parasites in my body. And that was just mind-blowing for me to learn. And so I'm interested in looking at how do parasites affect like different populations in terms of how do they reproduce? Do they reproduce by themselves asexually or are they finding other friends to reproduce with? Are they having biparental reproduction is what we call that. And so that's part of what my work is right now and just trying to figure out how do different traits about animals potentially signal that they have good immune systems or that they're a good partner or they're genetically dissimilar or something like that 
And like, what are they focusing on? Is it the chemical cues? Is it the visual cues? Is it both of them together? So we call that multimodal signaling, where you have two different signals coming from different signaling modalities. So for example, you might have auditory signals, so making a sound like they're screeching or they're like croaking. And then the other one might be color. So maybe they have like a red patch on their chin. These are the things that are going to be on their dating profile. Yes, these are on their dating profile. On your online dating profile, you have multimodal signaling because you've got your profile pictures as your like visual cues, but you've also got your bio, right? So you've got multiple different (laughs) signaling sources. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And all of them say parasite free. No parasites on me. (laughs) Well, everybody's got parasites, but some of us have fewer parasites than others. Fewer parasites than usual. Yes, that's That's what everybody can put in their uh, Tinder bio. Fewer parasites than average. That's that's a good one. That would win you some mates in the wild. Oh, it can be wild out there. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you've always, you know, been interested in animals and the way that they behave. Were you, uh, were you a fish kid? I was a fish kid, but I was like a lot of different animals when I was little. Like I loved yeah. all kinds of stuff. I used to watch the deer um, in my forest backyard that we had mm. when I lived in Maryland, and like I would always go out there and just sit as still as possible and just watch them. And they, oh. they would be watching me. It was so cool uh, being in fifth grade and like having those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Main character moment. Main character moment. I was also obsessed with going to the aquarium. It used to be in my bio that um, my mom thinks she took me to the aquarium one too many times when I was little. That's accurate. <laughs> um, I think that's when my love of fish started. And it didn't really like really start setting off until high school. And I just actually know probably eighth grade actually. But I just became obsessed. I just love fish. I love the way they look. I love their eyes. I love all their behaviors. They do some wild stuff. Like there's puffers in Japan that they make these insanely elaborate giant circles on the ground. And they didn't know what these were for for a long time. And like it just looks so beautiful and intricate. And you would think that like they're not going to be capable of that. But the wild thing to me is that like, it's evolved to do this thing that's so elaborate, like that's so exciting to me. Yeah, a lot of times whenever I'm learning about fish, because I feel like fish are so far removed from the human experience, other than like when you're catching them to eat them, that (laughs) you know, since all of their behaviors and everything are playing out in a completely different ecosystem from ours that we don't really understand that like intimately. I'm talking about like for like the average human being that doesn't, you know, maybe spend a lot of time in the water. That stuff can be so unknown to us. And then when you do learn about it, it is so shocking because you're like, is that what they've been doing down there? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a key thing, too, is that like when we're studying all of these animals or these plants, like we have our own experiences and we have to be so cautious that we don't like use our own sensory experiences and the way that we experience the world to bias Mm. what we're looking at because we're never going to know what it's like to be a fish. Yeah. And that's so exciting, honestly, that it's like these animals can live in such a different way from us, and yet they're still surviving, and some of them have been around longer than we have. Like, fish have been around way longer than we have, and depending on who you talk to, some people might say that evolutionarily we're all technically fish anyway. It's fish all the way down. It's fish all the way down. Maybe that's what uh, is so uh, appealing about fish to a lot of people is that you feel like you're like connecting with your <laughs> with your ancient history. Like, oh, ancient, I remember those days. <laughs> ancient, ancient grandparents. 
Yeah, the, we go way back, me and fish. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So the fish that we're talking about today, could you give me a line? Could you say, oh, you don't know about the mangrove <laughs> reveal Let's change yes. that. Could you give me a clean take? Yes. Okay, amazing. Oh, you haven't heard about the mangrove revealus fish before, have you? Let's change that. Ah, uh, chills. <laughs> it's like music. <laughs> I love that I like was doing the facial stuff too, and then I was like self-aware. It's part of it. It's part of it, right? Because you have to get the right like tone from the facial expression. No, I feel yeah. Like. It's so funny too because everybody thinks that that's my normal speaking voice, and I'm like, it's a bit. It's a character. Like, I, obviously, I'm speaking. This is my normal speaking voice right now. But you have to like zhuzh it up, right? It's for the yeah. drama. Yes, it's for the drama, literally. I mean, I have Lacrimosa in the background, so it's going to be dramatic. <laughs> it's a moment. You're cultivating a vibe. For people like me who hear mangrove revealers and are like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this thing in my life. The word mangrove is probably familiar to a lot of people. But for people who are unfamiliar with this little guy, can you introduce us to the mangrove revealers? So the mangrove rivulus is a type of killifish species. So it's a little guy, literally. Little. Um, they're little. They're like, I think the absolute max that they can get is like two inches, but usually it's like one and a half. Tiny. They're very tiny. Skinny kind of fish. They have like very rounded fins. So if you're mm. looking at them, that's what they look like. I think they're cute, but your mileage may vary. <laughs> it's fine. We'll talk about that in the aesthetic or the aesthetic portion. I've definitely caught killifish in Animal Crossing, and they didn't. They just said killifish. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's lots and lots of different species of killifish. So I'm sure that they don't look like the mangrove rivulets because rivulets are <laughs> weird. Yeah, I'm looking up the Animal Crossing killifish right now just so that I have a fresh image of it in my head. And it is, it looks like a little, like a guppy maybe. Yeah, they're related. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. And they live in mangroves? Yes. So they live in not the pretty mangroves that everybody's used to seeing in like BBC, like Planet Earth stuff or like the, the blue world. It's not that pretty blue, pristine with like all the roots. No, they live in the nasty part because nobody else wants to live there. This is the swamp. The swamp. Yeah, like they, it's, it's the nasty part. There's lots of hydrogen sulfide, so apparently it smells beautiful out there. Oh, the, you get that nice swamp smell. Mm. A unique odor, a unique fragrance. <laughs> uh, I haven't been in the field yet, so I haven't experienced that, but I will keep everybody posted on uh, my thoughts on the smell. <laughs> but like, they often just live in like a couple inches of water. Sometimes oh. it's like really muddy and nasty. And they're just vibing out there, which most fish aren't vibing out there. So hey, good on the mangrove rivulets. Oh, so they're in like really, really shallow water. Oh, yes. Because everybody's always like, are you going to go diving to find them? And I'm like, that would be very hard. Like, my whole body <laughs> also would unnecessary. <laughs> unnecessary. Wholly unnecessary. I'm just going to go take a quick little stroll. Although that area where it's like, if anybody's ever tried to walk through like a mangrove swamp, it is extremely difficult to walk through. Yeah, because there's all of the roots. So you're not going to have enough body space to be diving anyway. Yeah, no, you can't get anywhere. Like even walking through it is very, very difficult because the tree roots are everywhere, but also the ground underneath you is really just this like very watery mud and yeah. it's very difficult to traverse through. That's why mostly like when you go to a mangrove swamp or something, you really have to stick to like boardwalks 
Because otherwise, I mean, unless you know exactly what you're doing and you're pretty experienced out there, it's difficult to walk through. Yeah. So we won't be using boardwalks to go where we're going. (laughs) Where we're going, (laughs) there aren't roads. Um, (laughs) But we definitely can't be diving in any of that. But they're they're not living in the pristine areas. They don't have like the high rise apartment. They um, they live in (laughs) mud stuff. You mentioned that you, you know, haven't been out to the field to study them yet, but I, I am curious about what does your work with them look like? Like in, in what capacity do you work with these fish? So right now I'm doing all lab stuff, but I am applying like mad to every fund that I can find to be able to go into the field this summer. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but right now I'm doing a lot of the behavioral trials where we're looking at the visual cues. So I've already done that getting everybody to analyze them on my awesome undergrad team. They're all watching those videos right now so we can analyze the behaviors. So what we do is we use models. So I hand painted these models. I think I posted them on Twitter somewhere. I'll have to repost them. But I hand painted them to look like either a male, a hermaphrodite, which we'll get up to all that, or like a black control, which is essentially just painted black. So it doesn't have any visual cues at all other than like mm. the morphology. So the shape of the fish. Oh, and sure. so essentially we just put them in a tank and I gave them like a little acclimation period and then raised a bearer. And I was like, have at it for 30 minutes. Do whatever you want to this model. It's fine. And I'll <laughs> record it and sit in this room very, very quietly. It was so funny because when I first started recording these trials, I was in a room where the chair was squeaky, so I couldn't sit in the chair when I was recording the videos. Oh, no. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) So normally you don't necessarily want to be in the same room, but the problem was that opening the doors was so loud. So I had to like essentially cover the whole experimental area up so they can't see me at all. And I have to sit in silence for an hour. Oh my god! I had to sit on the floor, <laughs> and so there were many times when I would be sitting on the floor for like six hours. No, just oh running no. all of these. <laughs> but now I'm in a room that has a nice chair and it doesn't squeak, which is great. <sighs> what an upgrade! Yes, literally, it's been a lifesaver for my back. <laughs> I like to imagine you just like sitting on the floor, huddled in silence, hiding from the fish, like. Love doing science. (laughs) That's exactly what I was doing. And I would just sit there and just like read the Dune books because they're long and that's something to do. So that will get you through many six hour sessions. (laughs) It did. But we're working on the chemical cues one now. So I'm getting all of that set up for that experiment. Kind of same idea, like giving them different chemical cues. Same idea. It's just chemicals. Yeah. That's cool. I did wonder why are mangrove revealuses used in this experiment? Like what makes them special to this work? So, well, first of all, uh, that's what we had when I came into the lab. So that's perfect. That's the number one thing. (laughs) You work with what you've got. You work with what you've got. But like the great reason to use these fish is because of, I mean, honestly, their uniqueness. So you have this fish that they're all born as hermaphrodites. So that means that they have both male and female reproductive organs at the same time. They are simultaneous hermaphrodites. So they have both of those organs at the same time. So they can also do something called self-fertilization. We call that selfing for short, where they can literally fertilize their own egg with their own sperm, which is convenient, right? Yeah. Who who do you need? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, so they, hold on, my cat is getting into things. She shouldn't. Hi, kitty. <laughs> Ophelia says hi to the audience, even though they can't see her. Um, she's here in spirit. Trust me, the cat's really cute. She's so cute. Um, so you have these individuals that can self-fertilize, so they can self, and they are one of two vertebrate species that can do that. 
super common in plants, super common in invertebrates, and invertebrates just don't do it. Except for the only other vertebrate that does it is another type of killifish. So it's oh. like, <laughs> it's like, all right, then that's closely related to our fish. So the interesting part is that they can potentially turn into males later on in life. So they're all born as hermaphrodites, but they can change to male later on. So the big question is, why would you do that? And the other big question is, if you can, you know, mate with yourself, why on earth would you want to bother trying to find a partner, right? Why would you do this? Right. That seems like that would limit your options. Exactly. So there's some positives with being able to do it by yourself because, I mean, we have what's called reproductive assurance. You know you're going to have kids. <laughs> yeah, 100%. There's no question. Problem is, though, is inbreeding depression. Yeah. Which is, you know, why you shouldn't date your cousins. If you have this fish that has been doing this for however long it's doing, you essentially have, they're not necessarily clones, but they're almost like clones of each other. And they've just been doing this for so long. You might have it where they're not as healthy or they're not able to reproduce as well. And so there's kind of some <laughs> not great cons there. And the other issue is parasites. So if you have a parasite that crops up, that's not a super cool parasite and you don't have the immune system that can defeat it, you're kind of out of luck. Unless you can mate with a male. Because then you can have all the genes from the hermaphrodite and all the genes from the male can cross over together and you might have some new gene combinations that might help you be better at defeating parasites in your body. So that's one potential reason. Yeah, like one of you might just happen to have a mutation that like resists this parasite, or like this disease or something like that. So if that gene, if that mutation isn't getting spread around in the population, then everyone's going to be vulnerable. And then like one parasite or one disease can wipe everybody out. Exactly. So that's one potential reason why it might be good to have males around. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of what my research is looking at with the parasites. And we're hoping to get to go into the field and look at... How do these parasites differ across different sites? And do males have more parasites than hermaphrodites? Because we have something that I'm really excited about that's called sex bias parasitism. So what this is, is that sometimes you see in the wild that one of the sexes, so like males, for example, might have more parasites than the other sex, the females, or vice versa. And so it's dependent upon a whole host of different factors that are differences about their biology that might make them more susceptible. So we're curious about that as well. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> it is really weird. My lab work is focused more on figuring out what are they paying attention to? Because we don't know if they pay more attention to visual or chemical cues. Because clearly they have to find each other somehow if they are reproducing because we know that they are. We've never seen it in the lab, unfortunately. One day I might be able to do that. I'm trying. Um, <laughs> and we've never seen it in the wild either, but we have genetic evidence to show that they definitely reproduce with one another. And so we're curious to see, like, what is it that they're really, like, honing in on and they might be interested in? When you were talking about the fish that are able to reproduce with themselves essentially indefinitely it reminded me of a while back i think last year we did an episode on amazon mollies a whole species of fish that's just <laughs> this one fish copied and pasted over and over again yeah you know however many thousands of times uh and that you know one thing that was really interesting about this fish is that you would expect a species 
of what are essentially clones to have those vulnerabilities, right? You would expect that they would experience a sort of like genetic like decay over time. Because um, yeah. when you're making so many copies, and these fish reproduce pretty fast, right? Mm -hmm. So like a short amount of time is a lot of generations and a lot of copies. So when you're making the same copy over and over again, you'd expect there to be some decay. You'd expect the like the genome to become unstable or they'd be really vulnerable to certain like diseases or parasites like we were talking about. But the cool thing about the Amazon mollies is that it's just not happening. Like they're yeah. just fine. <laughs> Why are you fine? <laughs> Why are you fine? We're looking at that a little bit too with our fish. And so one of the possibilities is that they might be really well adapted to where they're living. And so if it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> Keep doing that. You're doing great. <laughs> because if you were to fix it, it might get broke. And so if they're doing fine, whatever they're doing is working. By God, keep doing it. Well, so since you said, you know, that how well they are adapted to live in their environment, let's talk about that. Let's get into reviewing the mangrove revealus. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, what we do is rate animals out of 10 in different categories. And the first category is effectiveness. This is how well this animal's body is physically adapted to survive and thrive where it lives. So you mentioned this fish lives in really shallow water in mangrove ecosystems, which is a fascinating place to live. I'm curious to know, what do you give the mangrove revealus out of 10 for effectiveness? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give it a solid 10. I know that's crazy to give them a 10 right out of the gate, but like this fish is <laughs> insane. What's going on? What's what's happening with this fish? So they're urihaline, which means that they can tolerate a wide range of different salinities. So when they're in this mangrove area, they can experience anything from like almost fresh water to they found as high as 90 PPT, so parts per thousand salinity. So just as a reference, the ocean's like 35 PPT. So 90 is insane. I mean, they're not going to be doing super hot in 90 PPT, but most fish would be RIP'd in 90 PPT. <laughs> so I would argue they're doing just fine. Being alive is excelling. <laughs> yeah. So they can go through these different salinities and their bodies can tolerate it, which is wild. They're also urethermal, so they can tolerate different temperatures. So they've got all these different things. <laughs> um, we've already talked about how they're able to transition potentially from self-fertilizing hermaphrodites into males. But they have another really weird, interesting quirk that if the water conditions suck, they can just jump out. Oh, where are you going? <laughs> they could literally just jump out of the water. Away. Uh, away. Goodbye. <laughs> I don't like it here anymore. Yeet. <laughs> and they could jump out of the water. Why are they doing this? Where are they going? Where are they going? So sometimes they'll do this, like if the hydrogen and sulfide in the water, like the concentration of that is too high, they'll just jump out of the water because it's not a good time to be in that water and so they can just leap out so they can't just be like laying in the sun sure obviously that's not going to work for them uh they would dry out and it would not be a good time so they have to be somewhere moist but they'll do what's called immersion where they're able to jump out of the water to somewhere else that's going to be safer and they've done tests in the lab where like you can see that they'll like essentially on their little like landing pad they'll like go around in circles and they'll look at their options and then they'll oh. leap to where they're going. Yeah. So they're kind of like, are they like traveling across land to get to like better water? They can do that. Or like sometimes they'll just kind of vibe and hide out in a log for a oh. long period of time. So I think this is fine, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah, essentially. Great. This is fine. Like 
the fire dog emoji, except that they're, <laughs> like, okay. Except they're actually fine. So much yeah. of this is like, why are you fine? <laughs> why are you fine? Like, literally, though, that's what we ask all the time with our fish. It sounds like nothing short of a nuclear blast could kill this fish. <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly. Uh, they could live in garbage, essentially, and they'd be like, I'm fine. Like, this is great. They don't like living with, like, a filter that you normally have to give. Like, if you buy a fish, do not put it in a bowl, please. Don't do that. Unless it's the mangrove rubulus, which, I mean, <laughs> please don't go out and, like, take them from the wild. Um, but they are the only fish that you could just, like, keep in a bowl, and they prefer that. They just like standing nasty water. They didn't like it when we used to give them filters. So they're like, cool, I just want to vibe in this nastiness. It's giving Shrek. It's giving Shrek. It is. <laughs> I'm going to steal that phrase and use it in my lab. Just like, what are you doing in my swamp? Energy. Literally. <laughs> and they're like one of the few fish that lives where they are. So they're like the only St. Patrick species that's there. They don't have a lot of competition with others. So it's literally like, get out of my swamp. So they are recluses that don't like yes. to be with others. This is all extremely Shrek behavior. And they are aggressive, just like Shrek. Shrek, this... <laughs> This is the most peak Shrek energy I've ever seen from any animal. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know. I never made this connection and I love it. Would you call this an extremophile? Like, I would say, yeah, probably. It's getting there, right? Like, not the same thing as like extremophiles that are like the bacteria in Yellowstone geysers. Right. But they're pretty, they're pretty extreme. And what's cool about animals like that is that that ends up protecting them from so many things. Like, yes. if you can live where nothing else can live, you don't need to be afraid of much, right? Are there things that eat these fish? Yeah, so they don't have a ton of predators, but they do. So like birds can eat them, like mangrove snakes. Like, that's not a species, just like snakes that live in the mangroves. Iliotrid fish will eat them, but they don't have really a ton of predators, which is great for them. It seems like they're able to reproduce themselves enough to make up for it. So I they're think fine, they're all yeah. right. They're fine. The one thing I think of when I think of mangroves are like wading birds, like little like herons mm -hmm. and egrets and stuff that will just, they're probably having a field day. They'll for sure eat them. It's funny too, <laughs> because they used to think that this fish was rare because they're so cryptid. So like you can't find them and they hide a lot. And then when they started realizing, oh, they're like living in weird places, they're like, we were very wrong. There's lots of these. <laughs> we just thought nobody could live there because it sucks. <laughs> they were like, oh, we like rarely see them out and about. So clearly, like, there's not a ton of them. And it's like, surprise. <laughs> Did you look in the toilet? <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> but they seem like they're happy out there. They're like, everything's going great for me in here. In, in, the, in the swamp mud. I love it. In this is great. Mud. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're rating ingenuity and aesthetics for the Mangrove Reviewless, so stick around. With Max Fun Drive in the books, we'd like to welcome our new members and say thanks to everyone who's supported us over the years. Welcome. Thanks. And now, on to the sticker sale. A lot of this year's drive gifts and live streams focused on food. We love how food can bring communities together, but not everyone has access to the food they need. So we'll split the proceeds from our sticker sale among five U.S. food banks in areas disproportionately affected by poverty. The sale ends Friday, April 14th. Members at the $10 monthly level and above can purchase any stickers they'd like. There's also a special Max Fun sticker featuring Nutsy the Squirrel that all members can purchase. For more info, head to MaximumFun.org slash sticker sale. And thanks again for your support. 
a man was walking along a beach which represented his life. At his feet were two sets of footprints, his and God's. But looking back down the beach, the man could see that in the hardest parts of his life, there was only one set of footprints. So the man said to God, Why is there only one set of footprints when times were hard? Where were you? And God replied, My precious child, I was in my car, listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, you mentioned that they're doing some interesting behaviors, like they're jumping and exploring a little bit to try to get away from these hostile conditions. I'm wondering what you would give the Mangrove Revealist out of 10 for ingenuity. So for ingenuity, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to give him another 10. Okay, let's go. (laughs) Because I was saving the other part about them jumping out for this. So (laughs) when they jump out of the water, it's not just like, oh, they can jump out and vibe for a few minutes. No, no. They can live for like 66 days is the maximum they That's found. That's a really long time. Out of water. Most fish would not be alive if you did that no. to them. And the mangrove revealers did not get the memo that they are fish and that they're supposed to be in water. And they're like, this is fine. Like literally though, <laughs> this is fine. And so as long as they have like something that's moist, like they often will hide in a log. So it's been described to me as like, you'll go and you'll take a log and you'll pull it apart. And there's just mm. all of these rivulets just in there, just squished. I would and throw so, up. <laughs> we'll see what I do when I open one of these. I would pass out on the floor immediately. <laughs> <laughs> just a ton of them are in there. But they can breathe through their skin. So they breathe cutaneously is what we call that. And then their gills can be restructured during this time period to help them better breathe air. What? So I would certainly consider that to be ingenuity. Yeah. Wait, so they can like just do like a transformation sequence in their little gills? (laughs) Yeah. And then when they go back in the water, it just goes back to normal, essentially. Oh my god! Like it'll transition back to normal. They've got, like, land mode and water mode. Yes, uh, like Crocs, you switch it from sports mode to the regular mode, but they have, <laughs> like you said, land mode and water mode. Oh, that's so funny. It seems like they take being fish as more of a suggestion than a rule. Yes. Uh, they, again, did not get the memo that they're fish. <laughs> they're like, are you sure? I don't know. I'm yeah. going to try this land thing out. They don't know what they are. They're, they just know <laughs> that they're rubulous and they're vibing. I think instead of not knowing what they are, I think they know what they're supposed to be and they're rebelling. Yes. Yes, they're very rebellious. I would say that. They're choosing their own journey. They certainly, they have behaviors for sure and personalities. Um, All animals have personalities. But it's so funny because you'll go into the lab, like especially on the weekends, and they'll like bang on the sides of their tanks to get your attention so you'll feed them. Like... Uh Anybody that's worked with fish will tell you that fish are the absolute worst at begging for food. Like if you think your dog is bad or your cat's bad, fish are like a thousand times worse. (laughs) And they will behave as if they've never been fed in their entire lives. You'll feed them and two seconds later, they're like, food! They act like nobody's ever fed them, ever. Living in constant crisis. (laughs) And they like will do the little like, feed me dance at the side of the tank. And they'll like move back and forth over and over again and be like, come on. And you'll walk around in the room and they'll just follow you. So I always have hundreds of eyes looking at me. I never feel lonely. Like we know what you have. Yeah. Or don't have sometimes when I go in there. Because I'm not only going in there to feed them. They don't know that. 
Oh, true. That probably sucks when they're like, hey, what are you doing here and not feeding me? (laughs) (laughs) Especially because usually they've just been fed. Mm, Drama queens. They're like, how dare you walk in here and not feed us? You mentioned earlier that they can be aggressive. Is that like something that you have (laughs) experienced towards you? Uh, so they haven't been aggressive towards me, but I've seen them be aggressive towards each other. Um, Oh, towards each other. I thought you meant like aggressive, like towards, I don't know, threats or. No, uh, I have though. I fed them and I have one fish that he tries to jump out of his tank to catch it out of my fingers. And that's a strange experience, especially when they're small. Oh, that's interesting. He's like three inches. He's, he's massive. They don't normally get that big. That reminds me of like how archer fish will sometimes try to yes. like beat each other to the food because they know that like if the water if the food hits the water somebody else could come grab it. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe they're just trying to like get it before anybody else can steal it. Yeah. Of course he's the only one in his tank, so he has nothing to worry about. So chill out, dude. <laughs> he's just hangry. Um, but they're serious. very aggressive towards each other, especially the hermaphrodites. And so we have people in the lab that have studied this and like when they fight, because we keep them separate on purpose, because they are mean. I didn't realize that that was what you meant. Like, you have each one in a kind of, like, in its own little zone. Because I was imagining a tank with, like, a whole school of these things in them. And we've done that before, but usually what they'll do is they'll separate themselves. And so, like, everybody oh. has their own corner and they don't interact. Um, oh. But if you first introduce them together, they, they'll straight up fight each other. And oh, they'll sometimes do like really escalated versions of aggression. Like the worst one is called mouth wrestling. Well, they'll put their mouths on each other, like grab each other's mouths and go in circles. And they can't really breathe during this time period because they have to use their mouths to breathe. So this is a very escalated form of conflict is what we call it. But like they love fighting. Yeah. And that is like a to the death sort of thing. They're trying to choke each other out. To choke each other out. Yes. <laughs> When you said mouth wrestling, I was like, I don't know if that's a fighting thing, but <laughs> everybody always colloquially calls that like kissing because there's other yeah, fish that do they're making it too, out, but yeah. they're not making out. <laughs> it fighting. looks like that to us, but they are fighting enemies to lovers. Okay, it- <laughs> I like this arc. <laughs> this is a Shrek enemies to lovers fan fiction episode. Oh my goodness! I I use I'm calling them Shreks from now on. This behavior, like of little tiny fish being very mean to each other, reminds me a lot of betta fish. Oh um, yes. Anybody who's ever tried to keep betta, betta fish knows that they are very very mean to each other. And that kind of parallels another thing about betta fish was that they're also fish that evolved to live in very shallow, sort of like still water. And so I'm wondering, is that like, is that related? Like fish being like really, really mean and territorial towards each other. And also this sort of like shallow, still water environment. Is this like a territorial thing? It's just those two things seem related. I think it's a fascinating observation. I don't know. That's that's not really my area of interest. Or not my... I think it's interesting, but I'm saying it's not my area <laughs> of research. Um, mm. So I'm not quite sure, but like, that's a really interesting pattern. I'm sure that somebody's looked at it. I don't know. I imagine maybe if you're living in really shallow and still water, you may need to be a little more protective of like your zone. Maybe if water's not if water's not flowing through as often, maybe you're not getting as much like cycling of nutrients. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm in the speculation station. <laughs> I think it's so cool though. I bet somebody's looked at it. 
Probably, because that's just what where my mind went. I was thinking of betta fish, because with betta fish, you have to do the same thing, right? You have to like separate them out, and yes, and especially when you were talking about having to put a divider in when like looking at how they mate with each other or how they choose mates and stuff. That's how mm -hmm. you have to like breed betta fish, right? You have to like yeah. have a little divider in there and let them, you know, get to know each other, and then you like remove the divider and let them mate, and then you have to separate them really quick again. Yeah. <laughs> But I use a divider for, well, I have a divider between some of my fish uh, so they don't see each other. But the divider in my research is used just to kind of give them an acclimation period where they can't see anything. Because it's really stressful being moved from your home tank to this brand new place. And so I just give them 30 minutes to like chill out before I start looking at their behavior. Because otherwise, you're getting more of like a stress response rather than an actual response to my models. In the mangroves where they live, are there like other like similar fish around do they seem to have any sort of like relationships with the other fish around them or are they just kind of like thriving there because they're kind of the top dog <laughs> yeah so there's sailfin mollies for example are in that area uh i think mosquito fish but they don't really come into contact with too much competition to be honest sure because of where they live they sound kind of feisty so i'm wondering if like oh, they get feisty to like the other fish around them I imagine that they would, because they're, they're feisty towards each other, so I'm sure it might be worse even with somebody else. Maybe it's the sort of thing where like they're little and they feel like if they're just mean enough, the other fish will leave them alone <laughs> it's like to compensate. They're the chihuahuas <laughs> of the mangroves. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, sometimes that works, right? Like if you have like a, if you have a little critter that's just also very mean, you'll leave that critter alone, even yes. if it's really tiny. So yes. There you go. It's a survival strategy. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the last category we rate animals on is aesthetics. This is just how nice this animal is to look at. And you have a lot of experience looking at this fish. So yes. if anyone's going to have a, a grasp on its aesthetic value, it's going to be you. Uh, what do you give the mangrove revealus for aesthetics? I know that I've given such high marks for the other two categories. You can give as high marks as you want. This is your episode. This is your moment. Well, I feel bad, but they're like a four out of a ten. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> they, the males can be very pretty. Oh, really? So the difference between males and hermaphrodites is that males have orange coloration on the body. And sometimes they can be just gorgeous they just have this wonderful orange cast over top of them mm. um but in general like we've all seen coral reef fish they are stealing the show a little bit <laughs> yeah this fish in comparison like there's even other killifish species that are significantly prettier than these are <laughs> um they're not the greatest fish to look at i've had people that are like brooke i'm really sorry but your fish is ugly and I'm like i don't think they're ugly but i work with them all the time that's a little far but <laughs> but they're not like they're not necessarily winning any beauty pageants, but you don't have to, to be awesome, clearly. They do have that sort of like, you know, which I think a lot of freshwater fish end up getting dragged for aesthetics because when you can't contrast them with saltwater fish, they look kind of boring because they look muddy, yeah. right? They look very like brown and usually kind of speckly and stuff like that. I did, while you were saying that, I looked up a picture of a male rivulus and it is beautiful it has like a a turquoise and orange sort of look it's really it does look like a fancy guppy like one of the fancy guppies yeah. you get from like the pet store so there's something there <laughs> and then like the turquoise can also be like sometimes i notice that and sometimes i don't it's like i think it depends on the like the lighting oh um, sure it's like an it's iridescence like a, thing yes it's an iridescence thing which is st 
still quite pretty, but they're like, in comparison to other fish, you know, maybe they're not the prettiest. They're also brackish water fish. Um, so that means that they live in between freshwater and marine water because they're like right on like the edge of the mangroves. So they're not quite freshwater, but they're not quite marine either. So their looks, I guess, fall in between those. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I mean, there's something cute to be said about the little fish because I have a lot of memories of, you know, walking through. I, I, I don't spend time walking through mangroves because it's just difficult to walk through and, you know, you don't find yourself in the mangroves very often. Uh, yeah. But, you know, kind of wading through shallow fresh water along streams or rivers or springs or stuff like that. And there's always these little fish that are just darting around and like checking you out maybe and swimming away yeah. and stuff like that, which I have for most of my life been terrified of. Cause I'm actually in, have spent most of my life terrified of fish. And only within the last couple of years have started like learning more about fish, getting more familiar with them. I can understand the logical part of my brain is able to be like, this fish is not a threat to you and it's not going to bite you. Like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. And like that message has been delayed in getting over to like the part of the brain that processes panic, <laughs> yeah. but it's getting there. Uh, you know, so I'm just starting to have an appreciation for like those little tiny fish that just like swim around and come check you out when you're like in a river or something like that. Uh -huh. I love those. For most of my life, that has been like a horrifying thing. Like if I see them, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not getting in. But like over the last couple of years, I've made peace with the little fish. So now I feel like I can look at like these little, these little guys swimming around in freshwater and, and not have like a, oh my God, no reaction. That makes me so happy. <laughs> We're getting I'm proud there. of you. <laughs> well, like you, you work with them all the time, right? So you could just like yeah. jump in and be like, this is no big deal. I love these guys. These are my friends. Now, I will admit, like a lot of people will probably be shocked about this, but this is actually pretty common too. It's a little bit overwhelming the first time like you get in the water with a lot of fish for a lot of people because it's just like a lot of unknowns and you're not used to it. And you're like, I'm used to yeah. studying this from like a theoretical point, but now I'm like in it. And so it's a little bit overwhelming, but then you get used to it. But like, yeah. I don't, I don't like when it's like so deep that I can't see the bottom. That freaks me out. Also in this kind of water that you're talking about it is very murky. Yeah. Like you, you could be in like six inches of water and still not be able to like see your feet. Yeah. Like that doesn't freak me out as much because I know where the bottom is. But Yeah. That freaks me out because I don't know what's in the sand. That's my big concern. Mm. It's like, I don't know if there's crabs under there. There are crabs for sure. Yeah. So like, I don't know what, if I'm going to step on something and like, it's going to be mad at me. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Our fish actually famously likes to live in crab burrows. Oh, that's adorable. They'll go and hang out in the crab burrows in the mangroves and they'll like have little vibe time in there. Is it while the crab is still in there or do they wait for the crab to be gone? I think there's a YouTube video where there's like a crab that you can see it and then you see um, the rivulet fish like jump out as the crab's in there. So apparently they could just coexist. It's like they were having a house party where their parents were out of town. <laughs> yes, they're having a house party. <laughs> and then they come home early and they're like, everybody out, everybody out. <laughs> oh my goodness. That, that checks out. <laughs> crab burrow weekend house party. Yes. I... I'm so charmed by this little fish. I like getting an opportunity to look at like the little guys, the little unassuming fish that aren't necessarily like the megafauna that I think a lot of people like to talk about, right? Yes. When you're, especially when you're talking about like Florida mangroves, you're probably going to be talking about, are you, like most people would probably, you know, be thinking about manatees, herons, gators, you know, the, yeah. the bigger critters, but it's really nice to zoom in sometimes on the little Literally guys. Literally zooming in pretty yes. far. <laughs> 
<laughs> really far to these tiny little feisty guys, but there's a lot going on there. They're so fascinating. <laughs> there's more than meets the eye with them. With our little Shrek fish. I mean, technically, they are Transformers. Through and through, apparently. Every part of them is just like in a constant state of like, hmm, we need to switch over to being male. Let's just tweak that. Oh, we need to switch our gills over to being on land. Let's just adjust that. Like, it seems like they have just kind of little like adjusters and sliders all over their body where they're like, oh, we can just flip that over to what we need. Yep. They are great survivors. Well, Brooke, I've really enjoyed our time here learning about this awesome fish today. Before we hop off, I would love it if you could let folks listening know, like, what are you working on right now that you want people to know about and where people can find you? You can find me as at Ocean Philly on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. I am not as active on Instagram anymore, but I'm starting to come back a little bit with that. And then I'm fairly active on Twitter and TikTok, and I post a video at least once a day talking about some cool aquatic critter on TikTok. So you can follow me there for more information on cool critters. And then working on research. So hopefully in the future, you all will be able to read publications from me. Yay. Oh, that's so exciting. I got to say, on I've also been kind of increasing my TikTok activity. You're a must follow, I think, for anybody on TikTok that likes to fill their For You page with all manner of <laughs> and, and not just ocean critters right like sometimes it could be other stuff too but yeah. a, a lot of silly videos but also like informative ones so yeah definitely a must follow it's been described as otherworldly and vaguely threatening <laughs> so that's the vibe so if you're interested in that <laughs> if that is the energy that you'd like which otherworldly and vaguely threatening is extremely consistent with the vibe of ocean creatures yes the ocean in general. You've channeled yes. <laughs> the personality of the ocean into yourself. <laughs> yes, essentially, yes. But otherworldly, vaguely threatening, and also elegant. So I'll have links to everything in the episode description. So people listening can scroll down and click through and, and follow wherever they are active. And I'm really thankful for your time and your knowledge today, Brooke. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope that next time you find yourself wading in muddy water, you take a moment to look down at the tiny ochres darting around your ankles and appreciate the versatility and tenacity of the humble little fish. If you liked what you heard today, I hope you leave behind some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice, like JT Pav, who said on Apple Podcasts, quote, I am afraid of many animals, and when they do some of the animals I am afraid of, they give me a reason not to be afraid. Me too, friend. Me too. If you want to hang out with us online, we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to everything will be in the episode description below. Send me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal you'd like to hear us talk about. I'd like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside the other incredible shows like the ones that you heard promos for earlier. You can check those out and learn more about the network and how you can be a part of supporting our show over at MaximumFun.org. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music. That's all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.